Tonight's scripture passage comes from the book of Colossians. Um, I can find it. One sec. There we go. Um, this uh, comes in chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word to God, make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of, of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Father, uh, would you send your spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts would be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite uh, mysteries in the last few years is a Netflix show called The Killing. Uh, I have no idea if that's supposed to be something I recommend or not, but it's one of my favorite shows. Uh, and it's a two-season story arc. And the entire time, you're just like on the edge of knowing like who done it, like through the entire two seasons. And just before it resolves, with like five minutes left at the end of two seasons, I remember thinking, there is no way that they are going to like tie all this stuff together. You still aren't quite sure who's done it. And throughout the entire two seasons, both my wife and I were riveted. We both loved being carried along. In this posture of kind of curiosity and discovery, we're full of anticipation about like what's next, what's, what clues are we going to find, what's going to happen. We're not in control. We know we're not, so we know because it's a mystery, we know we're not supposed to have it figured out until the things end. Like if an episode three of a 10 episode season, something seems like there's a bow on it, you know you're being misled and you got to wait for the other shoe to drop. We just know that we need to pay close attention and participate in the story. And now my wife and I, were, we both love it, but we respond to this very differently. Anna, my wife, she Sherlock's like the whole thing. Like she's guessing and second guessing and asking questions, often right before the show answers them. Like I think he's the guilty one. And what do you think kind of stuff, you know? And I know I'm infuriating for her because I don't want any part of that. I've got these instincts, but largely I just love sitting back and just wanting to see if the resolution connects all the loose ends. So I actually like it when the show's over, kind of going back and seeing like how everything is kind of connected and tied together. We both love being along for the ride, but neither one of us, regardless of the ways in which we respond to this, neither of us really want to hurry it. We don't want to cut the mystery short. We lean in differently, but we lean in. That's what happens in a mystery. And in our passage of scripture tonight, the Apostle Paul invites us to live as if of all of life is actually this great mystery story with God dropping clues throughout history and inviting us to pay attention and lean in as we are carried along for the ride. And so tonight we're looking at the greatest mystery in the cosmos. The one that even angels were trying to peer into, Peter says. The one that was hidden for generations but revealed in Jesus Christ. The mystery the church has been dedicated to making fully known from generation to generation for the past 2,000 years. 
That mystery is Christ in you. Paul tells the Colossians, that's the letter we're reading, that it's to a church in a town called Colossae, and so we call it Colossians. Paul tells the Colossians that as a servant of God, he is making known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed in the saints. And the saints is just another word for Christians. In his letter to the Ephesians, it's a separate letter. By the way, if you're probably going to want to check this thing out. I couldn't scan this from the very back, up close I could. The houseutc.org slash worship. It's got the scripture in there from Colossians chapter 1 or use a Bible app or something. You might want to keep referencing the text because this is a loaded run-on sentence that in English is broken up into many sentences and it's got a ton of stuff in it. So you might want to keep referencing these few verses from Colossians 1, 24 through 29. But I'm going to take a slight detour for a second because in, in the beginning or in the beginning of chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul tells them that he is bringing to light the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. And if you're into cross-referencing and research and doing other homework in the Bible, uh, Ephesians 3 is a wonderful map onto this uh, chapter we're looking at today in Colossians chapter 1. Listen, God spent 2,000 years unveiling the mystery that he was working out through the descendants of Abraham. 2,000 years. Do you know that God reveals things over time? Some things in his wisdom require preparation. Some things we just simply aren't ready for yet. I'm, I'm moved and ministered to by Jesus in John 16, telling his disciples, it's one of my favorite verses. Jesus says, I have many more things to tell you, but you're not ready. How many of us long for God to just unpack all of the things he would like to give us. And, and how, for how many of us is God saying, you're not ready for that yet. You're not ready for that yet. Some things we just aren't ready for. Other things in his providence, he has appointed times for. So let's go back. In Genesis chapter 12, it's a little ways back, God chooses this guy, Abram, later he's called Abraham, to start a new people group, a new nation, a new tribe, a new ethnic group in the end. God chose him and told him that he was going to bless all the families of the earth through him. And the Hebrew people, that's the descendants of Abraham, inherited these stories, not only of Abraham and his descendants, their people, but also of all the things which built up to the time that God chose Abraham. They heard the story that God made everything good. That human beings were the prized jewel of God's creation. That God created them to delight in them. That he would be their God and they would be his people and they would live forever with him, flourishing in the whole of the cosmos. They heard these stories. They heard the story that not trusting in the goodness of God, the humans took things into their own hands, wanting to define the good life on their own strength. And they began to feel shame and to cast blame and to hide from one another. Does that sound familiar? And they experienced a cascading series of deaths, culminating with murder and the end of their own lives. And since that day, humanity has walked around this world under the sun feeling homeless, feeling estranged from a place we've never even been, feeling like we are on the outside, haunted with this sense that they are not where they ought to be and they're not who they ought to be. 
and to address these problems, the problem of sin and evil and death and alienation and estrangement and shame, God chose Abraham. He had hinted at something like this. He dropped a clue back in Genesis chapter 3, and you can trace these promises through the history of the Israelites, through Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob and through Judah and through David and through Joseph. And if you pay attention to the meta-narrative, the bigger story, as you read through the Hebrew Bible or what we call the Old Testament, you'll see that God is up to something. He's been up to something right at the beginning. He's up to working to undo this curse, to undo the sin and the evil that's been wrought upon the world through his people, to bring his people to a promised land, to make them into a new kingdom. There's something like a mystery going on. We are not often taught to read the Bible this way. Many of us open the Bible to random verses and read two of them and then stop. And we're unaware of, of a lingering problem and a way in which God is addressing it and the promises that are set up and the anticipation and the hope that every time a son is born to a person in Israel, Hebrew people who know the promises of God are asking one question, is this the one? Is this the one? It's a mystery. And they're waiting for resolution. How is God going to do it? The mystery, this mysterious thing that they never saw coming, which God had planned from the beginning, is what Paul is talking about in our text. The thing that the people of God have been waiting for, that their priests and prophets of old were speaking about, that people died for, longing to see. The mystery, Paul says, is Christ in you. Christ in you. The mystery isn't just the Christ, but that the Christ is in you. The mystery is a relational reality. It's the way God is with us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's Christ in your midst, dwelling among you. The you in this case is plural in the Greek. If you don't know, most of the, well, actually the entire New Testament, with a few small exceptions, is written in Greek. And in the Greek, in this case, the you is plural. It's essentially saying Christ in y'all. That's a, that's a good translation in this part of the country, and I'm going to use that for a second. Christ in y'all, so you don't confuse that with something else. Christ in y'all means that the mystery hidden for ages is God coming down and dwelling among us, becoming one of us, and even in his ascension, pouring out his spirit so that whenever two or more of us are together, God is with us in a very peculiar and specific way. Christ in y'all is the thing we never saw coming. And though you probably don't think about it this way, I think it's a thing that we struggle to believe. Because how many of us think that this whole thing, life, is about a journey back to God? That we need to figure out how to get back in. That we're shut out of something that we want to be led into. And we got to figure out the right career path, the right relational thing. we got to figure out the code, the morality structure, the, the magic prayer at a camp. we got to figure out the thing to do to be led in. We never think about the fact that it's God's, this whole thing is really God's journey to rescue us. We keep thinking that the lost one needs to find her way back home. And so we pray for her. When in reality, the great shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. We keep thinking we need to find our way back into the Garden of Eden when God is bringing a new Eden to us. If you have not read the Bible, I commend it to you. We keep thinking that we need to find a way to God. Christ in you means God finds a way to us. The great mystery hidden throughout the ages is Christ 
in you. The secret isn't you finding a way to get to God. It's, it's that God has always been finding a way to get to you. Paul says, this is the thing which was hidden for ages. And this, he says, is our hope. Christ in y'all. The mystery hidden for ages that God is on the loose in his Christ and he is with us and he is for us and he is in us. Christ is present in the garden. He's present during the time of Noah. He's present with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's present with the Israelites. He's in them and with them in their wanderings and in their conquests. He's in their midst during the time of the judges and the kings. He's with them in their exile and in their prophets. He came among them most clearly in the sun and he's now with us by the power of the spirit and alive in the church. And like a good mystery, once it's been revealed, like once the light's turned on, once we have the denouement, we can look back and see it. Like we can go all the way back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 and go, man, there's a lot of Trinity talk going on there. I see Christ, I see Jesus present there within the first few verses of the whole entire book of the Bible. We can see that the word became flesh there in Genesis chapter 1 in a way. We can see those clues and words of the psalmist from Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you're there, God. And if I make my bed in the depths of the earth, you are there. The mystery that blew everyone away began to come to light when the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary one day, telling her, blessed are you among all women. For she's going to bring Christ into the world. Mary, Christ will be in you. And Christ will be in the world and in and among his people. Emmanuel, God with us. And we had no idea how much God meant this until we saw him break out of the camp. The Colossian church, you probably don't know this, the Colossian church is not full of Jewish people. And the Jewish people were the ones waiting for the Christ to come. And here you've got a whole bunch of people who aren't Jewish going, the Christ, the Jewish Christ, Jesus is Jewish. The Jewish Christ is our Lord. And Paul looks at the, the, the Colossian people and he says, Christ is in you. Right in their midst. And it testifies to the Apostle Paul just how true it is that God has been committed to being in us the entire time. How hard it is to believe. When we feel like God is so very far from us. And we need to seek and find our way back to him. But he's not very far from any one of us. This is the mystery, friends. Since Genesis chapter 3, we have felt far from God. But he has been for us and with us the whole time. And now by the power of his spirit, alive in the church, Christ is in us. That is the hope of glory, if you look at the text. That is the hope of glory. The hope of glory isn't that you get your act together. The hope of glory isn't that one day you'll get invited to some inner circle of friends. The hope of glory isn't that you have a record of achievements that God's impressed with. The hope of glory is God himself in us. And that hope is for everyone. Paul says that we proclaim him to everyone, the one who is with us and in us. We warn everyone. We teach everyone with all wisdom in the hopes that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says everyone three times in one sentence. As if Christ is actually for everyone. As if maturity in Christ is possible for each and every one of us regardless 
of your history, regardless of the practices that you're coming from and that you'll go to after this service. Not all of us are called to be musicians or missionaries or moms and dads or middle managers, but every one of us is called to maturity in Christ. This is what Paul toils and struggles for. Those are big words, toils and struggles. And most of us, I think, tend to want to resist that. We're looking for the day of the week where we don't have to toil and struggle. And Paul finds it to be his great joy and reward that he gets to toil and struggle on behalf of presenting others mature in Christ. And I think it's because his toil and struggle is with hope and confidence. He toils and struggles with confidence and hope. Because Christ is in you, Colossians, but also because Christ is in Paul. Notice that he says he toils and struggles. This is what this last verse there in your passage. With all the energy that God is working powerfully within him. You see, the hope of glory doesn't come from our own efforts. It comes from God's sure and effective work within us. In the summer of 1999, right after my freshman year of college, that's how old I am, I give up the opportunity to make about $12,000 that summer and instead raise $3,000 to go on a nine-week mission trip. And I didn't know if I was a Christian yet. If I calculate for inflation, that's like raising $5,000 instead of making $20,000 over the summer. Okay, it's a big deal for me. Nobody outside of those people in my college ministry thought this was a good idea. I didn't have money. I didn't come for money. My entire college career, I worked 40 hours a week. And I took out $7,000 a year in loans. I needed to make some money. I'm still paying those off. But I prayed for 30 days about whether I should go on this stinking mission trip. And I felt this conviction. I, was, I don't know if it was from God. I mean, I think now it was. At the time, I just couldn't shake this thought that there aren't many times in my life that I'm ever going to consider taking a nine-week mission trip. But I got the rest of my life to make money. And so I went on this nine-week mission trip. And I came back from that trip with less than $100 in my bank account. I still owed 700 bucks out of that three I was supposed to raise. But I had a full-time job. And I went back to school in the fall. And that summer was so impactful for me that the next year, in the summer of 2000, right after my sophomore year of college, I made this strange decision. When most of my friends were starting to work full-time, I actually cut down my hours. So I only worked 20 hours a week, and then I volunteered 20 hours a week at this inner city church called Madrona Presbyterian Church in Seattle. And basically, I wanted that summer to be the significant season of growth in my life. I had like a ton of questions about faith. And so one of my mentors, a a guy that worked on a college ministry staff, much like the house, um, he he told me about this guy who was a youth pastor at Madrona Pres. And so I call him up and I'm like, hey, Rob, I'm friends with Joe. Um, And if I give you 20 hours a week for free, phones were bigger than this at that time. If I give you 20 hours a week for free, can I just hang out with you and learn from you this summer? And so literally, I I can't tell you any of the kids' names that we ministered to that summer. I don't know any of them. Uh, I actually don't remember if we ministered to any kids. I think we must have. Um, I texted Rob about four hours ago. I haven't talked to him in years, but I tracked down his number from somebody. I I said, that text is still out there. I said, is this Rob Holland? Question mark. And I haven't received a response yet because I want to ask him, did we actually minister to kids that summer? Because what I remember mostly was sitting on the front steps of this church and just asking Rob like every single question that I had. Like I didn't know what the word denomination meant. I didn't know what like Catholics and Baptists meant and why churches call themselves those names. I didn't know what the word theology meant, but like every question I had was theological in nature. 
And I, I, can, I cannot um, commend something like this enough to you. If you get the chance and you have the chance, whether you know it or not, you have the chance. So find out how to come under the wing of somebody that you respect and look up to and just pepper them with questions and learn from them and sit under them. It's one of the most incredible ways God has given us to grow in this life. Find some mentors. We'd love to hook you up with some. But I remember a turning point in my life that summer when I told Rob that even though I think I'm a Christian now, I told him that, I think I'm a Christian, but how can I be sure that I'm going to be a Christian when I'm 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, Rob? And Rob quoted to me Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, for I am sure, the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian church, I am sure that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And up to that point, anything related to my Christianity felt like a wish dream. Like I'd spent a couple of years tackling a lot of intellectual questions and doubts. And it wasn't that. That, that wasn't where my doubts were at that point. Like I, had a t I, I probably had more questions now than I did then. But, but it wasn't racking me with doubt about my faith in God. What am I going to do? Believe in the political structures of our day? Or that if I get married, I'm going to be happy? Or if I find a job, it's somehow going to stave off death? Or that all of this is meaningless and we're just floating on a giant space rock. Like, none, none of, I mean, I literally, I like cast my brain and my heart as much into that stuff as I could. And, and I, I was like, no, I, there's something to this. But man, every, I haven't gone more than two, I was 20 years old. I haven't gone more than two years with any sort of stable commitment. I kept changing my mind like the seasons all the time. How can I know, Rob, if I'm still going to be following Jesus? And Rob said, what if this whole thing isn't about you trusting you? What if it's about trusting Jesus? What if it's not fundamentally up to you? What if God is good to deliver on God's promises? What if he will complete the work that he starts? You gotta get a windshield on this. Sweet. And I said, Rob, if that's true, I can do that. Because I can't commit to all of this if it's on my strength. But I can commit to it if God is good to deliver it. You see, Rob had hope in my glory. Not because of my efforts or my morality or my lack of doubts or really anything about me. Rob had hope in my glory because Christ was in me. That's the hope of glory. And if he has begun a good work, he'll bring it to completion. Friends, I don't know why you think you're here sitting out here on the grass today. Hopefully on a blanket or whatever. But if you're here... God is up to something in your life. And your invitation is to reject the ways of the world and say yes to him who has been for you from the beginning and is for you to the end unlike anybody else. And if you pay attention, what you're going to find is that you're in the very middle of a pretty spectacular mystery. Of God revealing himself to you and of God revealing you to the world. And if you trace the clues and you connect all the dots, what you'll find is that Christ is among you. Y'all probably got a lot of reading. I commend to you a book called A Horse and His Boy from C.S. Lewis. It's a marvelous bedtime read. It's a tremendous tale of this very thing. I'd love to talk to you about it. This week, I want to invite you to look for the ways God is drawing near to you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to look this week. Just look. Pretend it's a mystery for a week. Pretend that there are clues dropping like, like stars everywhere around you. Look for the way God might be among you and near you this week. Look for the ways he's already among you and in you. He is 
friends, and I pray that you notice it. He is at work to re actively, presently, to redeem all of the cosmos. And it's not on your shoulders to do what he alone can do. You are not in control. You do not have it all figured out, and he doesn't expect you to. But he's up to something. And like a marvelous mystery, he's invited you and me to pay close attention and to participate in the story, to lean in. And so lean in. You are not too far, nor are you too far gone. He is with you and for you and in and him in you, Christ in y'all. That's our hope. I'm here to tell you it's true. And I will take every opportunity I can get to tell you that it's true. And my prayer is that we spend our lives proclaiming this truth to one another. Yeah, on pulpits and worship services, but on social media and in your dorm rooms and at your places of work. And when you do business with people behind counters, on vacations and at home with your families, that with our lives and with our words, that we proclaim this truth to one another, that Jesus Christ in us and nothing else is the actual hope of glory. Let me pray. Father, would you send your spirit now? I know you've already been at work. So I ask you to, I guess, just to keep doing your thing. Reveal to us the ways in which you are at work. Reveal to us the ways in which you are making yourself known. I pray for each of my friends here in this lawn that you, that you give them pause tonight before bed. That they look back. And they start seeing dots connected. They start seeing threads pulled through their history. Ways in which you have shown up. I, I know that for, for everyone here, there are things unresolved. There are things which will only come to resolution at the day you that we see you with our eyes and behold you with our eyes. And we're in bodies made new. I know that there's so many things that won't be resolved until then. But already you have shown up. Already your spirit is on the loose. I pray that we see you. And that we're people that, that help each other see you. That we might not think that our hope is in anything else but you. You in us and for us and with us. As we sing to you these last couple of songs, Lord, would you receive our praise and gratitude and joy? And would you pour out upon us the resources of your kingdom? That we might have that hope would be birthed within us and that we would lean into whatever you have to offer us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.